Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Hi, I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Unresolved Life Podcast. Today, I've got Eric Allen with us, and he's got a really cool story of dealing with unresolved issues and what that looked like in his life. I promise you guys are going to really enjoy it. But before we get to that, let me touch on today's sponsor. It's the Teshua Tea Company. You guys have heard me talk about these guys before. They're a cool company. Did you guys know that the cost of a human is $90? Yeah, $90. And they are trafficked and spot and sold like cattle. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's a worldwide pandemic. But there's a company that's doing something to stop it. It's a Tua Tea Company. What they do is they rescue girls out of a communist Asian country uh, out of sex trafficking. And they give them the medical, emotional, spiritual care that they need. They then teach them a trade and help them to uh, create things like tea and coffee. And on the U.S. side, they purchase that coffee and resell it. It is a really neat ministry. I want you guys to go check them out. Go to www.teshuatea.com and tell them that uh, Teresa sent you from Unresolved. Now, let's get on with the show. Eric, welcome to Unresolved. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you. This show is about answering some of life's most difficult questions. So we tackle uh, the stuff that makes the church uncomfortable. So I'm going to open up this by asking you, what's one thing that the church should address that it mainly feels uncomfortable with? I think some churches are uncomfortable talking about money. Um, you know, and, and for me, like, I'm, I think they should be more open about talking about money. Like money is part of life and Yep. Hey, we should be given to the church or given to a charity or whatnot. And so I think that's an, uh, it's always awkward, uh, not only for the people that are attending the church, but sometimes the pastors don't know how to talk properly about money. Uh, it's actually, you know, one of the number one, like word used in the Bible is money. And so I don't think they talk about that enough. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it almost seems like um, pastors either shy away from talking about it at all or they overkill it. Again, thank you for coming on the show. So can you take us back? Where does your unresolved story begin? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in eastern Washington state, and I thought it was a typical household. You know, went to Sunday school with my family. I played Little League. My dad would take my best friend Dave and I literally throw us in dumpsters behind big stores on Saturday morning and say, go find treasure. Like that was a typical Saturday, you know? And my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old. I'd never heard the concept before. Didn't even know what divorce was until they told me that at that point. And I didn't know why. It wasn't like I saw my parents arguing very often or anything like that. But my mom then got together with a man who was very physically abusive very quickly. And so I would think in my mind, like she's going to get that guy out of the house, but instead she got pregnant. And I remember that he would, you know, be hitting her all the time. Cops would come over. My mom would never press charges, like to the point where I was outside looking through their window one time and saw him hit her with a cordless phone. You know, I was like, just craziness. And so they did the smart thing, right? And they moved us to small town, Montana, Stevensville, Montana, population 1,200 people. And they had five acres that they rented this house on. 
The problem was with the house, it had three bedrooms. There was one for them, one for my little brother who was just a couple months old, and then one for my sister who was four years younger than me. And they said, Eric, you need to go live in the garage. And they basically built the half of the garage where my bed was at. I had a fireplace on my half of the garage and then a plastic tarp at the end of my bed that separated my bed from the truck that pulled in. And that fireplace kept me pretty warm at least halfway through the night during the winter when it would get negative degrees and then it'd be pretty stinking cold for the rest of the night, you know? And when I was 13, they came home arguing. It wasn't anything different than any other day. Like they had always argued. But as I'm brushing my teeth one night, I felt like it was God saying, man, you got to turn around. You got to check this out. So the way the house was set up was behind me was the kitchen to the pantry to the garage where I lived. And as I looked out there, I saw him on top of my mom. Boom, boom, boom. Shot after shot, punched her in the face. I'm like, man, I got to get this guy off. And so I snuck up behind him and I grabbed a cast iron pan, the big heavy duty ones you take with you camping. And I swung as hard as I could and I split the back of his head open. And he turned around and he said, what then? And as he said that, I took another swing and split his forehead open. And I'd hit him so hard the second time I'd fallen over. He didn't get knocked out because he was so drunk. And I remember him standing up over me. He was bleeding down his face, starts to yell at me. My mom jumps up, lands six punches on his face, blood splat on the wall. Cops come, take him to jail for the night. Again, no charges were pressed. I actually got kicked out of the house at that point. I had three months left in my freshman year of high school. So just bounced around from friends' houses to friends' houses. And that led me on a path of destruction for the next 10 years of my life. Okay, let's back up for a minute. For the first few years of your life, before this individual comes in, would you say that you grew up in the church then? I went to church. My grandparents were heavily involved in the church where my my grandma was in choir and my grandpa was an usher and things like that. I was the kid that would go to Sunday school with a pocket full of G.I. Joes and excuse myself to go to the bathroom and then just play G.I. Joes in the bathroom. And then they'd never come looking for me for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> that's what that's about as much of the church that I grew up in. Right, right. I hear you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> First of all, I can absolutely relate to to this because I have I've got uh, there's a you know, a lot of abuse in my background as well, so I totally can relate to that uh, scenario. So what happened? You said that, um, after you, after you get kicked out of the house, after you've um, <laughs> pretty much uh, waylaid this guy with a frying pan, you get kicked out. What happens as you're being moved from friend to friend's house? What started that path of destruction? So I, I ended up, like I said, just bouncing around from friends' houses, living on floors. We would, you know, I finished out the rest of my high school or my freshman year there in Stevensville, Montana. And I ended up moving back to live with my dad in Washington State. And he rented a house for him and I that was close enough to the high school so I could go, you know, finish my high school career there, uh, where I could, you know, take a public transit bus there and get there in 10 minutes. But this house that he rented, He'd put Hunger Man meals in the freezer, cereal milk in the house, and put 20 bucks in the cup, and that was my lunch money uh, for the week. So he'd refill that every week. And the problem was he would go stay with his girlfriend. So I'd see my dad a few times a month at most, maybe, in passing. And so I had no accountability, no adult supervision, anything like that. So I was getting stoned going before school, getting stoned at lunch, getting stoned after school, Taking acid, taking mushrooms, you know, whatever I could get my hands on, even to the point where I was, you know, could go buy a bottle of Robitussin DM for $2.50 because it has morphine in it versus paying five bucks for a hit of acid to get the same effect. So, really started getting into drugs pretty early on in high school. And when I was 18, I got arrested for having a bong. It's legal in the state of Washington now, but in the time in 1998, when I was a senior in high school, it was not. So, I got arrested and I had to go to jail. 
had to put a black and white chain gang outfit on, bright orange slippers, and go stay the night in a jail. And I was still a senior in high school. I literally wrote this note to my dad. Hey, I'm staying at Danny's house. I'll see you tomorrow. Because I knew that he wouldn't call Danny or his parents or anything like that and say, hey, where's Eric? You know, so that led me down that Well, I got on this probation for a year where I couldn't smoke pot. So what that did was enhance my drinking skills, you know, or my drinking time, you know. So I started drinking more heavily over that next year. And then two weeks after I graduated high school, I had a note on my my bathroom mirror that said, you can't comply with House Rosie at 48 hours to get out. And so I started living off of, you know, friends' couches again. And I had credit cards and I was living off of credit cards and decided I want to move to Seattle with a hundred bucks in my pocket, you know, like just trying to get out of the town and escape the mess. And so by the time I'm 21, I'm $28,000 in debt and have to file bankruptcy. And between 18 and 21, I moved 21 different times, living on couches of friends of second cousins for a week here, a week there, two weeks here, three days there. And I wanted to get into the music business. So I get up to Seattle and working at a CD store. Some guy walks in from Universal Records. I jokingly say, hey man, how do I get your job? And he goes, well, you got to be an intern. You got to be you know, in college and stuff like that. And so I go down to the local college. I pay $320 for a class, quote unquote, and then take my receipt to Universal Records and say, look, I'm an intern at a college. I'm going to school. I'd like to apply for an internship. And they said, cool, you're in. So I just showed up every day for six months, didn't get paid stuff and posters. I was officially in the music business. I got hired on after six months as their mailroom coordinator. So I was tracking sales and meet and greets and things like that. So I had this two-year span of really going to concerts and open tabs two to three nights a week. So I went to probably 175 concerts over two years and um, became a rock star without being a rock star, living that rock star lifestyle backstage and all of that fun stuff. And again, just like being lost in the world, having access to drugs and all of that stuff for you know the next few years was pretty crazy. I found it, there was something you said that really stuck out to me. And I want to kind of touch on this because I think this really speaks to both what we're seeing today, but also maybe, maybe you could kind of help me with this mindset. Your dad gave you 48 hours to move after saying you can't comply with house rules. Did he ever give you any house rules? The house rules were to do the dishes. And here's the funny thing is I did the dishes, but I have this weird thing where I do not like wet food. And so my request was, hey, to his girlfriend and his kids, because we were living with them at the time, can you just scrape your plates into the garbage? Because I don't want to deal with the wet food that you put on that you leave on your plates. And so they wouldn't do it. So I literally took the plates that had the food on it and put it to the side. And then I washed the other ones and put the other ones. And I put the ones back in the sink that had the food on it. And apparently that was enough to get me kicked out. Wow. <laughs> okay yeah that's that's definitely really helpful considering what you're dealing with on top of all that you know the 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 drugs and the wow <laughs> okay y- you end up working for universal records um and i assume you saw a lot of secular bands uh, oh 99 uh, yeah interesting okay so what happens after that? Uh, this was during the Napster days. So I got actually laid off during my on my one year anniversary, along with half the office. Napster killed the music industry. A lot of people didn't realize that it hurt that bad, but it did. And and our office actually went from like thirty two hundred square feet to sixteen hundred square feet. And you know I got let go on good terms. Like you know my my boss gave me a big bonus and was really you know sad about it. But what that did was that put me into a depression. I was working at Starbucks at night. And then I would get off work. I'd go to the grocery store, grab a six pack of beer, go to Hollywood video and rent me a video. 
And then I'd go to my ghetto apartment that was across the street from where Jimi Hendrix is buried out in Renton, Washington. And I drink myself to sleep every night. One night, this girl walked into Starbucks who doesn't drink coffee and we we're kind of chatting. And she said, Hey, we've got this cool college age event down at our church. Would you be interested in going? And me being depressed, having no friends and she very good looking, absolutely. I'm going to go. And so I go to this church event and it was like this moment that God started to plant a seed in me because not only did I have fun there, it was this youth event and they were kind of the leaders. And so I was helping them set up and tear down things, but I ended up like running to the guys that I knew from high school. It was like, dude, I haven't seen you in six years. I'm on the other side of the state from where I grew up. You know, man, I haven't seen you in five, six years. You know, it's just this cool moment where God planted these seeds. And about a month later, it was Easter 2004. I was managing a band. We went out and played a concert. And I woke up Easter morning in my buddy's basement, surrounded by probably 15 other dudes. And it was about five o'clock in the morning. And I felt God at that moment say, you are going down this path of destruction that's going to end your life very quickly if you don't make some changes. And I gave my life to Christ right there in that basement. And I said, God, whatever it is, I want it out of my life that's leading me away from you. And I quit cold turkey, drugs, drinking cigarettes, everything right there in that moment, gave my life to Christ. And I called that girl up and I said, hey, thank you for inviting me to that church event. I got her voicemail. Maybe I'll see you at the Starbucks store sometime. And about a month later, we were dating. A year later, we we're married. Now we've been married for almost 17 years. Wow. Uh, so the girl that invites you to a church event is now your wife. That's correct. Yep. And we were actually both born at exactly the same minute, 141 p.m. on our birth certificates. Different days, different years, but the exact same minute. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So you give your life to Christ. What happened after, like, how did your life change after receiving Christ? I got rocked. Like I was on fire. And first of all, I had to take a step back from being in that environment. So I talked to my buddies and I'm like, Hey guys, for me personally, I got to take a break away from the party scene. I got to get healthy. I got to get better mentally. I got to get stronger. And, um, and they said, absolutely get healthy, get strong. And those guys are still my friends today. And I took about six months where I just wasn't in that environment. And what I did was I started, now I look back at it. It was like, I was almost interviewing people living the life that I wanted to live. So I started taking guys out that were pastors, guys that had successful marriages, guys that were successful in business. And I started taking them out to coffee and just say, tell me about your story. Like, I want to know how do you get there? How do you stay consistent with this? And how, what struggles are you hitting? I started reading books like crazy. I've never read that many books ever. I was reading like a book a week. And I think I read, you know, 60 books in the first two, three months that I had gotten saved. And I was just trying to draw as close as I could to God and go, all right, I know what I had. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed about my past, but I know at this moment that my past does not define my future. Moving forward, I can change it to whatever I want it to be. Wow. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about a God intervention? <laughs> wow. And I mean, it's, it's so crazy when you really think about it, how he can take someone like strung out on drugs, a complete wreck and turn them around. As you start doing these interviews, it really reminds me. I mean, did you have someone come into your life uh, uh, to kind of disciple you at that time? Or were you kind of on your own? No. So my wife was actually one of the youth pastors at that church at the time. She was about ready to take over the role or she had just taken over the role just a couple months before I had met her. And so I had started kind of getting mentored by the pastor that she was under. And really like 
he was speaking life to me. He was like the regional director for um, one of the big, the churches that we went out to out there and amazing guy, successful marriage. He was a public speaker. He was also a youth pastor, things like that. And I started just kind of, you know, talking with, and I remember one thing that he said to me that was really cool. And it kind of stuck with me. He said, God almost has us on these puppet strings. And when we sin, he cuts the string and he reties it. And so we become a little bit closer to God. But then we get to this point where we've sinned so much that we finally make it in his hands and we decide that we're not doing that anymore. And so I think at that moment in my buddy's basement, I was at that that moment where my string was cut and I was finally in God's hands of that struggle that I dealt with for so many years. That's a very interesting image. Uh, my husband has actually written a piece of poetry. Um, I can't remember all of it, but it talks about the idea of a puppet and 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 um you know how everything how how that all how that all works together and all that so um i find that piece of imagery very interesting wow so how long were you working with the guy that that was kind of pouring into you and discipling you i mean a couple of years because he he ended up uh going to church plant out in missouri area so he went out that way and then uh, there's another pastor the actual the head pastor from the church i ended up being in a men's group with him for a couple of years and it was great and was able to connect with a lot of great men in that in that church and um you know still still to this day i love connecting with guys that are that are you know church followers that have successful marriage successful businesses and things like that and so um you know, I, I love that time of just like a men's group or a men's camp where we can go out and just, you know, kind of be men. Like we go and throw axes and we shoot guns and we go fishing and we just be able to pour out and, and you know, share each other's stories. And some of that is good. Some of it's bad. And, and then you get to go, man, here we are. And God's brought us all together because life happens for us, not to us. If someone is listening to this and maybe they're where you were. Like they're they're caught up in addiction. Uh, maybe they've been dealing with abuse, domestic abuse. Maybe they grew up in a very broken home, uh, like we did. Do you have what would you say to them right now? You have to make a decision and you have to take action. So if you want out of that situation, you have to go and get in front of people or get around people that are going to lift you up. And I don't mean that like in a kiss butt your way type thing. I mean go. You know, if like Ed Milet says, if you're walking around at 85 degrees and you're in this slump of life and you've got this a shame, you know, the shame and embarrassment of stuff, go find guys that are walking around at 185 degrees and go just hang around with them. Get uncomfortable to go be around in them in their presence, and it's just going to lift you up there. You know, one of the things that I have on my wall, my vision wall that I converted in my office, it says the purpose of pain is to move us into action. It is not to make us suffer. So we have to take that action. If we want to get out of that situation, how bad do you really want it? If you don't want it bad enough, you're going to stay there. But if you want it bad, if you want to make that change, if you realize that your past doesn't define your future, you're going to take the steps to make it happen. I couldn't agree more. Um, And like, you know, like I said, I, I, I totally uh, can relate with what you're talking about. You know, I've, I've struggled with my own addictions you know, so I totally get that. So let me ask you this. Where are you now in relation to like your relationship with God and how you interact with others? I think for me, I've one, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to judge anybody. It's not my job to judge anybody. So it, like I look at it, God has given me another day to live and speak life and to hopefully make somebody smile. So when I wake up in the morning and I open my eyes, there's win number one. 
I jump out of bed. I make my bed. There's two wins in 15 seconds. It's going to be an awesome day. And then mentally I go, my number one goal today is put a smile on somebody's face, whether that's virtually or in person. I want to make sure that I accomplish that goal. And when I get dressed and I get out of the shower and I come upstairs to my office, I literally converted an entire wall of my office to what I call the vision wall. So it's got pictures of my family. It's got pictures of my, you know, the property I want, uh, the a million dollar check, you know, like uh, quotes that I want, who I want to meet, things like that. And so I visualize that. I walk through it. I verbally out loud say that. I say affirmations the whole time I've got worship music playing. And then I come in, I sit at my desk and I just close my eyes and I'm a God. Thank you for this life. Thank you for my wife. And I'm just so grateful for everything. I start listing out things that I'm grateful for. You know, there are some things that I ask for, but it's, I kind of, I'm more or less, when I get in prayer, it's just like, man, God, thank you so much for this life. Thank you for this day. I get to go and talk to somebody. I get to hopefully make an impact on somebody. That's my number one goal. And I think God will open up doors when we decide that we're grateful for things. And, you know, we don't even need to ask a lot of times because obviously he knows our heart. So if we're just thankful and grateful for what we've got, that's my time. I spend time in worship. I spend time in prayer. And then, all right, now we can start the day. And that whole process is a good 30 minutes of me just kind of spending time in prayer and reviewing my vision wall and affirmations and things like that. I'm really struck by how important being thankful is. I don't think we really think about like what we've been given as King's kids as children of God. Um, Speak more into that. How how important is it to be thankful in your mind, to have that gratitude? Extremely. I think um, there's a lot of people that are a lot less off than me. And I don't mean that in a financial sense. I mean that they've, they've had just life hit them in the face really hard. And I know people that have gone through way worse than I have. And I think if I can just say, God, thank you. I have a roof over my head. I have a job that provides some money so that I can put food on the table for my kids. My wife doesn't have to work a job. She gets to stay home and be what she was created to be, what she said that she loves to be. And that's just be a mom. Like, I love the fact that I can let her just be home and I can be a provider and a protector. And so it's so important to just be thankful for what we have and also to give back. Like, you know, yeah, we have this life where we get to live and we have roof and we have, you know, we're all healthy. We don't have anything going on, but when we go out into the world, we go to stores, we go to restaurants, people wear name tags for a reason, call them by their names, be nice to them. Who cares? We don't know what kind of day they're having, right? Always be good to them. They might be rude or whatnot, but in my opinion, we always have to just be nice to them. And hopefully us being nice might change their attitude. Amen. Well, Eric, I will say this. Your story is um, its amazing. Um, coming from a broken home, coming from uh, having to beat the crap out of a guy with a frying pan um, to where you're at now. I really think it's amazing. It's a testimony of what God can do and what God will do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on Unresolved and sharing your story. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. It was truly an honor to be here, Teresa. Well, if you have any last words, feel free to share. I say just just love people where they're at and let God do the work. Amen. And guys, um, I'll leave you with this. If you're listening to this, you know, Eric and I, we found a savior no matter what happens.
we, we have a God who loves us unconditionally. And if you don't know him, you can. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit to God that you're a sinner. That you can't save yourself. <sighs> Believe that Yeshua Jesus is who he says he is. That he came to earth as, as a son of God. He lived a life that we could not live completely perfect without sin. He died on the cross. He rose again, paying the penalty for our sin. And he's coming back in bodily form. If you believe those things, then the Bible says that if, um, if you confess with your mouth, and that's see, confess, and believe in your heart that God raised Yeshua Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as ABC. Admit, believe, confess. If you do those things, I would love to hear it. You can send me an email at Teresa at unresolved.life. I'm Teresa Blaze. This is the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.